Hello and welcome to the Think Big series brought to you by PSG. I'm Alicia Seckham. Well, South Africa's national health insurance bills a step closer to becoming law. And while full implementation of a NHI scheme in South Africa may be a while off, the passing of the bill earlier this year marks a move in getting the country closer to its vision of achieving universal access to quality healthcare. Now, this may be a noble cause, a moral imperative, but it remains an issue of contention, right? Because funding and managing a system like this at the scale required is extremely complex, leaving huge question marks around whether this is something government can get right. So today, we put the spotlight on the future of integrated healthcare in South Africa with Adrian Gore, CEO of Discovery. Adrian, thanks so much for joining us today. So right at the top, you agree that universal healthcare for all South Africans is crucial and must be achieved. But while Health Minister Joe Pachler is confident that the proposed NHI is the tool to do just that, you're not quite as convinced on that part of the equation. No, no, I, th I think I think that the I think that firstly to to restate the point, I think that the status quo is unsustainable. Universal health coverage is required for all South Africans. The point you made, so that's unequivocal, and uh, we support that fully. Uh, in addition, I have to say the policy direction asks for an NHI, and therefore I think that's the direction we're going. We have to make it work. So th those points I think are, are, are pretty factual. The bill, the bill is in a process now, going going through a, a variety of processes that the National Council of Provinces, etc. So it's moving, it's moving quite swiftly. I think I think the key issue of 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 discussion and debate, and hopefully we find a way forward, is that the NHI uh, the NHI is not workable without private sector collaboration. I think that's our unequivocal point. Um, so I don't think we we no, I don't, we are completely supportive of it, and I think the actual architecture of the NHI structure is something that's now enshrined in law. I think the issue is 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 to, is to us clearly when you look at the numbers, the funding, the complexity, it requires private sector collaboration. And if that can be achieved, then the bill can be made workable. So you know, I think our efforts now to try and make that point clearly and try and make sure that the private sector is involved in the way forward. Okay, so it's not a blanket, this can't work. You're saying the NHI is not workable without private sector collaboration. Just to be clear, Adrian, you aren't just saying this because of the implications it could have on your bottom line and, you know, the threat it poses to the sustainability of your health insurance scheme model, right? Where, let's face it, private health insurers and medical providers certainly stand to lose customers on the bottom and low margin end. Listen, I think I think I think just to be clear, this this is it, it actually this stage is not that debate because bear in mind this is an intergenerational uh process. This is going to take a decade or two decades to roll out. So in fact, this is more about having a bill with an architecture that's problematic. I think it's also about the sentiment of what, even though it doesn't take effect immediately, I think the sentiment on doctors and hospitals and funders and a sector that's that's big, successful, large, etc. So it's more about sentiment. Uh, but I, th I think to be fair, I think you need to look at just the numbers of this issue. This is not, this is a, a pretty clear cut problem of how a country like ours affords an NHI that, that is workable. And when you go through the numbers, you find it is it is it is not workable without that, without the private sector. But I just want to add one one important point. We're talking about there's a lot at stake here. You've got a private sector that's made up of of, of thousands and thousands of doctors. Uh, 850 different healthcare facilities. Um, it is funded on an egalitarian community-rated basis. 
people who have medical scheme cover have, have prescribed minimum benefits. So this is an incredibly powerful asset, uh, you know, that 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 actually takes care of of you know, although there are nine million medical scheme members, there are 15 or 16 million people who use it. So just bear in mind what's at stake here. And I think just making sure the sentiment is right that we can keep investing in in healthcare. We must make sure that these debates are properly aired and we end up with a piece of law that is workable. And, you know, there are still lots of blanks to be filled in here. But like you say, it's the architecture of this that's proving to be problematic, right? So uh, let as things stand, Adrian, let's home in a bit. Uh, where does the NHI bill fall short and what needs to change so that we leverage its strengths and its merit? Because while some, you know, things in the bill are non-starters that make it unfeasible, there are strengths and merits to consider. Oh, there definitely are. So I think that's important to state. You know, getting it to work is, is an important issue. But I think the key issue is to look at the numbers and the affordability. Just just mm. bear in mind how, how the we currently spend around, I think, 465 rand or so per person on health care in, in the public sector per month. So just just remember that number. The, the issue here is that is that uh, a lot of different debate happens and a lot of different numbers are thrown about, but crudely, uh, we are told that the NHR scheme may require a further 200 to 300 billion rand to fund it. Now, that's where the problem comes. So the question is, how do you get that money into the NHR scheme? The only way you can do that is through the taxation system. We're going to raise taxes, right? Now, our numbers show it's a pretty, a pretty simple thing to do. You'd have to raise income tax by 30% or more, right, to raise 200 billion. Right, so that if you were to do that, or you raise VAT from fifteen percent to twenty-two percent to achieve that, if you were to do that, I would argue that you you would destroy the economy. You really would. It'd be a difficult thing to do, right? But the question is, assuming you do do that and you do raise the two hundred billion, so as hard as that is to to do, assuming you did manage to raise the two hundred billion, what would that buy you? So you have everyone in this NHI, and the, the critical thing is that the NHI bill currently says once the NHI is fully implemented. Medical schemes can't provide coverage for those things that are covered by the NHI. So in its current form, it basically says once it's fully implemented, now that may be decades away, to my point, I think that makes no difference now, but just follow the logic, assuming it was fully implemented. Now you raise 200 billion by raising taxes by 30%, which I don't think you can do, but assuming you do achieve it. The 200 billion only takes you from 425 Rand per month to about 680 Rand per month, right? So it doesn't give you that dramatic increase in, in in finance available per person. Now, the medical scheme members or, or the employed sector who are funding that, right, they're currently spending about 2,400 Rand per person per month. So what you would see happening if you did that, you'd raise taxes for people that are employed by 30%, and you'd lower their health care by 70%. You go from 2,400 Rand per month to 680 Rand per month, right? So it illustrates just uh, the tragedy of, of affordability, the kind of the level of inequality in the country, and it shows you that it's, it's not doable without wrecking the employed sector. So it's not a healthcare issue. It creates a real problem in the economy. I don't think people would bear paying 30% uh, more taxes and having 70% less healthcare. So the point is not to be, uh, is, is nowhere to be cynical about it. That, that This analysis I'm telling you about is on the current economics or what the country can currently afford. You know, if we get rapid economic growth, if over time we find ways to do this in different ways and many different methodologies of how we can we can work through things, then it may be workable. I'm simply giving you an analysis, uh, analysis of how it looks today. Uh, and to illustrate the only way you can do that is to keep the private sector in place. You can't say when, when, when the NHI is fully funded, medical schemes can't fund. You need that funding.
Yeah. We need more doctors, we need more hospitals, we need more money, not less. So I guess I'm trying to make the point at, at in, under today's economics, you can see that it's, it's not workable. And so we are really advocating for simply freeing up that section 33, let the NHL eyeball as it is go through. It's got excellent attributes of use, as you said, but, but simply make the point that once it's fully implemented, let's then work out the role of the private sector, medical schemes, et cetera. So bottom line, when it comes to the thinking around sustainable funding or a sustainable funding source, Adrian, that would support this and ensure uh, long-term fiscal sustainability, it's a blended model that you're looking at with a mandatory contribution from citizens who are able to afford it. No, I think it's I think it's a blended model and I think it's a multi-funder model. I think you need the NHI structure and you'll need medical schemes uh, to be in the funding pool as well and others if, if that's appropriate. Uh, I guess the point we're making is we don't yet know how to make it work. We're saying yeah. once you get the collaboration and we work together, uh, there are ways to achieve it. And I have to say, and I, I hope it doesn't sound soft, I think we've, we're finding in many different ways when the public and private work together, we found solutions. We did that with a vaccine and I think we can do it with the NHI as well. So there's no, I don't think the private sector businesses for one moment sitting saying we understand fully how to do this. This is a complicated thing to do. The country doesn't have the resources. You know, if you look at the amount of money available for healthcare, even if we can afford it, it's so small for the needs that we, that we have. So we've got a real, real problem to solve. It's not a simple thing. And a weaker outlook for government revenue and the budget deficit side, which of course all means you know funding constraints that you've outlined here, Adrian. We've also got to consider where the government has the the capacity, the capability to manage a state-run NHI fund. I mean, the mechanics behind something off the scale, if you're sitting as a monopolistic funder can't be underestimated, right? I mean, what's Discovery System catering to? Four million. So catering to 60 million is going to demand a whole lot more sophistication in terms of the system that needs to back it. Yeah, listen, I don't think that we've, we've even begun to think about, you know, the architecture and the laws and the, you know, the legislative structure is pretty clear. But I think the complexity of how that can work and the, the actual executional difficulties mm -hmm. are not clear. In fact, we've seen quite the opposite. Any fund we're running publicly at the moment is having difficulties. So these things are difficult to run, you know, and, and we, again, don't sit in, in any kind of hubris that it's easy to do. Um, but I do think that if you have the right expertise in place, I do think that if you involve the right kind of technology, the right kind of people, you can make it work. I think yeah. the primary issue is just the, the affordability. When I mean, you look at the gap in funding, um, but I, I do agree with you, you know, we're in a process now of trying to in virtually every sector of society is trying to match public and private skills to solve problems. And I think we're doing better than we've done before. So hopefully their model of you know, public-private partnerships would work better. Um, so I, I agree with you, there's complexity in execution. But like the funding, I think a, 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 a kind of a philosophy of collaboration, you find ways to solve these things. Yeah. And like you say, we need to avoid inherent risk that comes with being the biggest fund of anything uh, in the country right now. Why are we not just looking at providing the option of low cost medical aid, which would allow private sector to take more off the strain off public health care? Adrian, what are some of the uh, constraints holding things back in that regard? And do you anticipate any movement there if these discussions are ongoing? Look, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that these, these are an and, not an or. You know, there's been a process and a discussion about low-cost benefit options. If we can solve that issue and have those come into the medical scheme structure, we can cover millions more people and take the burden off the state. If we mm -hmm. do that, I'm hoping that over time that forms part of the tapestry of an integrated NHI. 
you know so again i think just bear in mind although the law passes that this is a, a law that is is intergenerational it's going to evolve over time so i think yeah. the low-cost benefit option uh debate is sending it's now at a point we're still waiting for the council for medical schemes uh, on the process it's been through and we're hoping that that can be passed fairly fairly quickly if that's done we can cover many more people in the private sector. I, I don't see that as anathema to the NHR. I think it's it's very, very helpful if we, if we can achieve it. And again, just bear in mind that this is something that's going to take a decade or more to play out. So I think Absolutely. healthcare is so complex. You know, anything that works, you need to do and do more of, you know, and take the burden off things that don't work. And that's what we've got to do. You know, one thing, just to make the point, we have thousands of brilliant doctors in the private sector and in the public. You know, we often talk about this stuff in the absence of making sure that we preserve the quality of those people, we encourage people to go to medical school and qualify. You know, we, we know this is not a static thing at a point in time. This is a dynamic thing that, that influences sentiment and whatever. So this needs careful leadership as we kind of go forward. Yeah. Having said that, I'm going to pop uh, an audience question that's come through. What's the way forward for medical schemes in a struggling economy, considering the high cost of everything and an increasing public perception that you don't get what you pay for in terms of medical coverage. Well, you know, I think I think one of the difficulties is medical inflation tends to tends to always be higher than price inflation. There's a lot of studies as to why technology drives costs up. You know, if you look at something like Ozempic, you know, for for weight management, these are all new. These are all new technologies that come about. They add cost to the system. They don't reduce cost. So medic, medical inflation tends to have this unique. There's a well-documented study called Barmol on why it inflates at rates higher than price inflation. Um, but that's the problem. So it tends to crowd out other things in the economy. But I have to say the importance of, of healthcare for people is that we find in, in our system, uh, people just don't drop out of the system. It is it is of such importance to people to have private medical cover and medical aid coverage that typically although people battle, and that's our, our fundamental job to make it more affordable. It's, it's all we try and do. But the, the reality is that, is that uh, typically people don't tend to buy down they tend to stay with what they've got. So I would say to you that although although this is these are very complex times and difficult times and a kind of a cost of a living crisis, the truth the truth is that uh, I don't see the the elasticity for medical skin coverage uh, rising much. I think it's inelastic. People tend to demand it and stay with it. And uh, you know, so we are we are we are investing heavily in making sure we can control costs, bring prices down if we can in real terms. Yeah. But a complicated battle, uh, and I think the prospect is very strong. Uh, but, it, but you know, it is a, it is a year by year uh, process. In that context, talking about investments, Adrian, I mean, South Africa spends, what, about 250 billion rand a year on providing public health care. As you said, universal health care via the NHI would require an additional 200 billion on top of that, right? What, where do you think the most pressing needs with regards to uh, improving public health care provision sits right now? Because, I mean, like you say, we see how much gets spent on health care every year. So perhaps underfunding isn't the issue. It's the fact that we're pouring these funds into, into leaking buckets. Um, I, th I think it's both. To be fair, I think it's both. I think that we have to manage our public system better. Um, the public hospital system has got a lot of areas of excellence, but it's got a lot of areas of real weakness and, and almost collapsing areas, and that's a problem. But again, coming back to the numbers, you know, we spend 430 rand per person per month in healthcare. That's mm -hmm. not a small amount compared to many developing countries, but it's not a lot either. You know, so I think that the, the problem, to be fair to all parties, is is the funds are scarce, and the management has to be improved. 
And uh, I think that's one of the debates. I think in the NHI structure, we're not really addressing that. That's the problem. It doesn't address necessarily the management uh, of the healthcare system, which has to improve for us to actually get a return on the money being spent. Look, and we have had Finance Minister Inokarongwana say that he would rather invest, you know, money in improving government-run hospitals and healthcare infrastructure uh, that then implement um, the NHI bill itself. If we look globally for examples, I know that the UK model is the well-cited example backing the case for NHI. Have you come across any viable solutions in other developing countries, um, developing countries, Adrian, that South Africa can parallel? You know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, people often talk about the British NHS as yeah. a potential model. When they hear it, NHI, they kind of see an analog to the NHS. Understand the NHS spends, I think, $3,000 per person per year on healthcare. That's half our GDP, right? So it's like 10x what we could spend on NHI. So when you think about an NHS, banish any thought that we can do that. We don't have that kind of money. Mm. You know, I think that's important. The other point is just healthcare is just incredibly complicated to fund. So even in the UK, you know, we're, we're in the UK as a health insurer. The NHS is going through considerable difficulties now, aging population, post-COVID issues, you know, high levels of chronicity, et cetera. You, can, you find the waiting periods uh, for, for, you know, getting basic cancer care, et cetera, incredibly long. So there are no easy models to funding healthcare. But I'll tell you this, that in virtually every country in the world, you have a blend of public and private. That's how it works. You will always have. So we've we did a study on on uh, on on virtually every country in the world. I forget the numbers, but a small number of countries um, don't have private healthcare. Either they, have, they are very very poor and there's no private system, or you get countries like Norway where it's so rich per person, so homogeneous that you kind of the national system is so well funded. But there are virtually none like that. When it comes to the US, you've got a mixture of public and private, Medicare, Medicaid, and the private health market. It comes to the, U the UK, similar, Australia, similar, et cetera. So healthcare, wherever you go, is a struggle to fund. Um, and new things keep coming about that makes it more and more expensive. So these are not simple things. And that's why, you know, our position has been a collaboration, listen and learn, find what works, you know, uh, whatever works, amplify, et cetera. And do not underestimate the quality of our private system. It's remarkably good. You know, preserve yeah, it, build it, make it, make it a national asset that is used in this NHI tapestry. Absolutely. And if we look at Discovery's, uh, you know, growth itself, I mean, Discovery's global growth brings to the fore um, lessons in the power of partnerships where others in the private sector have said, you know, this is a model that's hard to build. So let's piggyback off it instead, because it makes business sense at the end of the day. Do you see us, Adrian, getting to a point between private and public sector locally, as opposed to this us versus them approach? Well, I, I hope so. I mean, I think that there's there's very good faith to try and do that. And I think we've seen we've done that in many areas. This work business is doing in government on a number of initiatives, energy, transport and logistics is exactly that, to break down those barriers and work together. And I think we're doing well on that. If we can extend that to healthcare, you know, that would be an excellent thing. You know, I think with healthcare, just especially health insurance, a health insurance pool, a medical scheme, is a complex orchestra of balancing risk, pooling risk. You know, it's not linear. If you get it out of control, we can't recover, you know. So these things that we have running in, in, in the country, not just us, others as well, these are complicated things that are working. You know, we need to preserve them. And I think to your point, I think we need to find ways to collaborate and work constructively uh, with, with the public sector to make this part of the process. Yeah. I asked that question because Discovery's pitched 
all of this to Parliament's Portfolio Committee on Health, right? Its version of a workable model for sustainable NHI. It's got to be worrying that after four years of Parliamentary Committee re review, not one amendment has been made, which brings us back to a question I ask often, no matter you know which business leader I'm talking to operating in whichever sector, while there seems to be a whole lot of articulating the headspace of business, is government really listening? It's a, it's a great question. I mean, I think in, in the NHR bill, there was actually very little that changed. And, and I think your, your observation is spot on. Having said that, I'm not sure you said it about, uh, I think about the US, you know, we try every everything, you know, we, we, we do the right thing after trying every alternative. You know, it's, there's, there's something like that in the process. So if I look at the work we're doing on energy, as I mentioned, uh, in, the par in partnership with government, despite all the stuff at the end of the day, South Africans, we tend to come together and, and solve problems. We did that with the vaccine. There was a, a lot of difficulty about how this thing worked with late comers to, the, to actually procuring the vaccine as a collective, as, as a country. And then we got through it, I think, quite well. I think the NHR may be the same, although it's been a very difficult process to actually get anything through in, in the narrative. I'm hoping now that there's there's a more realistic view, but but I think ultimately, you know, the point I, I have to make bigger than all of us, government and the private sector, when you look at the numbers, you can't do it. It's, you, know, it's, you, can, you can stand on your head. We don't have the funding. You know, so this is nothing about, there's no, again, no hubris. I'm saying when you actually get down to do it and we start rolling out this process over a decade or more, you're going to find unless we get considerable economic growth, growth above medical inflation, you will not be able to fund a, a viable healthcare system through one funder. You can't do it. Despite that logic, Adrian, are you anticipating a, a state of inertia to an extent where it's going to become increasingly difficult to win any backing for a narrative that doesn't back a populist agenda in the run-up to the 2024 elections? Well, I, you know, I'm a bit confused with that. I understand it. I'm not a politician, but I, and I get it. And I get the need to be, you know, giving messages that people believe in. And understand. And I think NHI, not just a populist issue, I think healthcare for all is it's a fundamental noble issue. So it's bigger than election. But the point I think is that our our, our suggestion on, on, on changing the bill around Section 33 doesn't in any way stymie the NHI. In fact, I think it, it, it liberates it to actually work. Mm. So my sense is that with the right kind of good faith, there should be no difficulty giving a message uh, whenever political party that the country needs an NHI that's workable. So, you know, as I say, I'm, I'm a business person. I may not get the, the, the kind of nuances of the politics, but I remain confused as to why that isn't a very, very appealing message to the average South African. Which, which takes me back to... One other thing, you know, yeah. Now one other thing, I think, I think, you know, the research shows today that the business sector is trusted by broader society. So I don't think, in, in fact, I think South Africa has an asset in that regard. In many countries, business is often seen in a, in a negative light. In fact, if you look at Edelman studies and others, the business communities, the businesses or the private sector is trusted by South Africans. Not to say we don't do things wrong and they aren't on, on, uh, on extremes, terrible behavior. But in the main, I think we're yeah. seen as a force for good. And therefore, if that, if that can be brought into this discussion in a, in a constructive way, that should be a positive message, you know, uh, in, in any period, frankly. And it takes me back, I was going to say, to something I heard you say a while back, Adrian, that, you know, it's the the narrative that drives the fundamentals, not the other way around. And we've got to start doing more of that in order to get the momentum going in the right direction, right? Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, people have this deep-seated view that fundamentals, when things are going well, I'll, I'll talk positively about the country. 
it's the other way around. When people have faith in the country, when people have faith in investing, the fundamentals tend to tend to tend to start coming coming to being. And uh, yeah. again, I can't. I think that we need to, we need to to achieve that. I think we need to celebrate things we have. We need to build on platforms and assets that work, etc. And have have faith that that we can work collectively to to for the better good. And I think we can. I think that if we can create that narrative, all else tends to follow. So in line with creating the narrative and kind of structuring it uh, the way we need to see it unfold, uh, where where do you see the future of private healthcare landing locally, even if a decade out? I think it's inevitable that, I think firstly, healthcare spend will grow collectively. As I said before, it grows faster than other spend because technology drives it that way. Chronicity, chronic illness, et cetera, drives it up. So I see spend going up, and I think just due to the, the, the fiscal difficulties and problems, private health is likely to grow. So you know, I'm in the industry. I hope I don't sound like I'm talking my book. I'm saying intellectually, when you look at it in every country, uh, private, private health care, health care totally has grown, uh, you know, faster than inflation. So, I, you know, it's a sector that's full of complexity. Um, this, is not, this is not about profiting. It's about simply the fact that people, I think, over time will spend more on health care. That's just how it is. And, you know, I've got to say, as frustrated as everyone is with government and we, you know, the headlines that we see and are bombarded with on a daily basis, as I was going through the audience questions that came through ahead of this uh, this webinar, there's a strong sense of, you know, well, something's got to change and a realization that we need to find a workable, equitable solution, that the current trajectory is just not sustainable for a healthy population, a healthy economy is there. So hopefully we are at that point where we are seeing some movement, you know, shifts are afoot into this, this new narrative so that we work towards a win-win scenario. You know, I'll take that I do agree with you, but I think that in that narrative, I think that and I don't think people do take for granted. I think the affordability of private healthcare is a massive, massive challenge. We know that. We see it. You know, your low to middle income uh, uh, population, the ability to afford medical scheme coverage is an incredible challenge. I mean, that's our, our fundamental kind of social aim. That's what we meant to do at Discovery Health. But having said that, I think that the quality of our private system is remarkable. Not that it can't improve, but the quality of doctors, the access to quality care, the speed of treatment, if you have cancer, whatever it may be, you can get access to the best quality drugs. If you need a scan, you can have it on the day you need it. It's unusual compared to mm. other countries in the world. And I think that South Africans more and more do appreciate that. That's my sense of it. I see a lot of people who've emigrated um, who actually come back for healthcare, for healthcare that they need. So, you know, I, th I think I think you're right. I think there is a frustration. On the other hand, I think in many quarters, there's a realization that assets that are working we should preserve and not all things need to be in decline you know and if we can understand that and kind of invest in that even if it's a narrative i think it helps the debate it gets to the right place and i i think as tough as, as it is we have to make sure we do that Absolutely. And it's so that though that asset, you know, holds and grows in values and we don't see uh, that value decline via things like a, a brain drain as we see skills, uh, you know, flee. So workable solutions is what we need to start uh, implementing on. Adrian, thanks so much for having joined us uh, today. It's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you. And of course, Adrian Gore is the CEO of Discovery.